0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Open Concessions podcast presented by Toyota, featuring a weekly in-depth conversation with a Chicago Cubs-related personality. We are your hosts. I'm Len Casper, along with Jim Deshays, You know us as the Cubs television tandem.
1: Hey, J.D. Hi, Len. How are you today?
0: Uh, I'm doing fine, and I think I probably had a better week than you did. Uh, people who watch uh, our games... Probably realize you missed the White Sox series due to an unfortunate golfing mishap last week, but you're on the mend and you're back to work, so that's good news.
1: Yeah, yeah. The good people over at the Northwestern took great care of me. Um, so <laughs> it's something I'd been barking for a while, and I finally kind of blew it out a little bit. But good news is, no surgery is planned. Just rest, medication, rehab, and uh, it's great to be back in the saddle in this uh, you know, truncated season. You hate to miss any time.
0: That's right. Well, this is going to be a fun one uh, today and this week. Uh, We're going to chat with former Cub first baseman Derek Lee, a two-time All-Star, won a World Series in 2003 with the Marlins, three gold gloves. He won a batting title with the Cubs in 2005. Uh, One of my favorite players and human beings all time. He, He was an underrated player. He was just so consistent, I think, in some ways, people took him for granted.
1: Yeah. uh, Steady as she goes. Um, He reminds me a little bit of Jeff Bagwell, who I was with so so many years down in Houston. Just a guy you put in the lineup every day and and you don't worry about him. Low maintenance guy, a a pro's pro, uh, and and a guy who who could do it all, you know. Hit for average, hit for power, very good defender. And uh, to borrow from the, the hockey world, he's great in the room.
0: That's right. Well, enjoy our conversation this week with former Cub Derek Lee. Derek, how are you? It's been a while. Uh, how are things? Things are good, Lynn. Um,
2: obviously, it's been a strange 2020. Uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff happening. Um, I, you know, it's one of those things where I'm not sure, uh, you know, I'm a little disappointed in our country, to be honest, how we're handling a lot of things going on. But, you know, it's been a good educational year for our family and uh really trying to keep our kids up on what's going on. And uh, yeah, but other than that, all is well. Everyone's healthy. Kids growing fast, so all is good.
0: Yeah, uh, we will talk a lot of baseball here, uh, but since you mentioned it, uh, and I assume you've you've watched a a fair amount of sports, um, are you heartened to see uh, players in all of the leagues kind of step out and, and have a a louder voice uh, that's being heard right now about uh, some of the stuff going on in the country.
2: Yeah, it is. It's uh it's good that guys are taking the opportunity and you know using their platforms. Um you know, it's it's a different day than even when I played. Um it, you know, there's situations going on in the world where th- these guys are affected, you know, not as players but as humans and you know, parents and brothers and sisters and friends. And these guys are stepping up to the plate and addressing the situations and, uh, you know, how they feel about it, how they can help. Um, You know, it's just a really, it's been a a lot of divisiveness going on. And, you know, I think athletes are in a position where we can bring folks together. And, you know, so it's good to see these guys stepping up and, and taking it head on.
0: We chatted with Billy Williams uh, about a month ago, and and then Fergie Jenkins, and and some of the stories Billy told us. Uh, you know, in Double A, he was I think 19 years old, and he he was about ready to quit, and uh, got kind of got talked into continuing on. But just the way uh, he was treated at that time, uh, I know you know Billy well, and I'm sure you talked to Ernie and, and and Billy and Fergie a lot when you were a Cub, um, and and you know I'm curious to know. Um, kind of your dad and, and your uncle and some of the stories they may have had? Um, because we haven't really talked about this, you know, um, and, and as, as we said, it, it's a little more out in the open now, but what did you take away from some of the stories from guys uh, who came decades before you to the big league level? You know, it's
2: hard to imagine those guys playing in those circumstances. Um... You know, I remember my dad, he, my, my dad played double A, I think, in Little Rock, Arkansas. I believe it was double A. So, you know, he had that experience of going in the South. And it was hard for me to really wrap my head around. And I got to double A in Memphis, Tennessee. And I remember my first day there, my first day there, I was uh, running the stairs out in the bleachers. And you could see, like in faded paint, um, the colored section. And it just, you know, it it blew me away. But, you know, just just some of these things that that these guys had to go through, Jackie Robinson, obviously, starting off, and then Billy, guys like Billy Williams. And, and, you know, we all know Billy well and Fergie and um, Ernie and their character. And I think that's what allowed these guys to continue to do what they did and do it at a high level, which allowed players like myself to come along and, you know, have it much easier.
1: So you're in double A. What year is this, Derek?
2: This was in nineteen ninety-six in Memphis, Tennessee.
0: Wow. Nineteen ninety six. Oh. Heartbreaking.
2: Yeah, it was like they it was like they didn't get it all the way out. It was it was just it, you know, it was very eye opening.
0: I I want to mention uh, another guy we all love. Um w- one of my all-time favorites, Latroy Hawkins, uh, you a know, Gary Indiana native, but he he had a real tough time uh in Chicago uh as a Cub too. And and that was disappointing and you know, he got through it um but you know, Dusty Baker uh, uh was your manager here too. Um how did you internalize some of those things that you heard as you're trying to navigate your way through a through a major league season? Yeah, it's just
2: unfortunate. You know, um, guys going out there, giving it, you know, everything he has. Um, You know, we we all fail at times on the field. But to have someone send you mail that, you know, hate mail because of your race, that has nothing to do with what you're doing on the field is just, uh, you know, it's heartbreaking, really. And I thought Latroy and Dusty and even Jock, You know, I thought they did a good job of really just Mm -hmm. keeping it quiet and continuing to go on about about their business, Um, you know, not letting them not letting it affect them so much on a day to day basis. But, you know, it's heartbreaking that someone is getting this stuff sent to them in the mail and whoever's writing this stuff feels comfortable enough to write, you know, that type of hate mail to someone.
0: Well, let's uh, let's get into some lighter topics here and talk some baseball <laughs> with with Derek. Um, you're my all-time favorite player. Fans often ask, you know, who, who's a favorite player you've you've ever been around, and um, you know, I talk whenever I talk to to managers about the type of player they love the most. It's your name comes up almost every time. Uh, I've often said Chris Bryant reminds me of you. It's the guy who basically Anthony Rizzo reminds me of you. Plays every day without complaint, uh, just puts up big numbers. Uh, and, and it's just a maturity that you had on an everyday basis. You were very self-aware, uh, you never got too high or too low. Uh, so that's who you are, but I'm curious to know, you know, some of those characteristics, where, where did you get them from? I'm guessing uh, good parenting and uh, the way you were brought up.
2: Well, that's it right there. Um, You know, and I came from a baseball family, you know, Lynn, so I watched how my dad went about it on a day-to-day basis, how my uncle went about it on a day-to-day basis. Uh, My mom wasn't going to go for any, you know, no temper tantrums tantrums were allowed on the field. You know, uh, in our house, there was just really no whining or complaining, no excuse making. So that's exactly where I got it from. Um, So that's just how I chose it you know, conduct myself on the field, and, you know, I was mindful that there could be kids watching the game, and I, I, you know, you know, I wasn't always perfect, obviously, but I tried to do my best to be a good role model for for the youth. Uh,
0: Before you jump in, J.D., I'll I'll let you you jump in here in a second, but I want to relate one story that um, you can confirm or deny, and we'll do that a few times here, Derek, (laughs) about (laughs) stories over the years, but I seem to recall Mike Lowell, who was a notorious snapper, uh, he broke a lot of helmets over the years. And is it is it true that Mike once said to you, I don't get it, Derek, you never snap. What's the deal? He just could not understand that you could remain so calm. And and you replied something to the effect of, my mom would be disappointed in me. Is that, is that a fairly <laughs> accurate description of the story?
2: It, it, it. I don't remember saying my mom would be disappointed, but I do remember Mike Lowell and as well, uh, Kevin Millar saying that same thing to me. How, you know, how do you never snap? Um, Yeah. You know, some guys, it's just different personalities. Some guys have to let it out, release it, break a bat, break a helmet, whatever it is. But that's just not the way I went about about it. And I remember when I also, when I first got called up to the big leagues, Tony Gwynn said, Derek, I don't ever want to see you. Throwing your helmet or a bat, it's not their fault. You made it out. And that that's another lesson I took hold of. So, I, you know, just one of those things.
1: Yeah, what a, what a great uh, opportunity. You, know, you talk about growing up in the game with, with your dad and your uncle, but as a rookie to be around Tony Gwynn with that San Diego ball club, um, that's got to be a pretty good influence as well.
2: Oh, man, talk about the, you know, ultimate professional. This guy was the first one to the ballpark every day. Um, his work ethic, he had, his routine was the same every single day. Uh, you know, he showed up. It was in the cage, on the tee, early batting practice. Um, you know, same guy every day. They they actually put my locker right next to him. And I and when I was called up, you know, it was you know just do what he does type thing. So it was great to be around him. And uh, he you know he's missed. He was a great teammate. Just do what he does. He hit 372 that year. <laughs> I mean, this guy, he, all the stories you hear about Tony Gwynn and, you know, and BP, he, he calls out, oh, I'm going to hit third base. You know, he really did that stuff. And he just had the ultimate hand-eye coordination and back control. He used a little tiny, I don't. I think it was 32, 33 inches, like 30 ounces. Um, yeah, he was incredible. He just did stuff no one else could do.
0: Well, you know, it doesn't always happen immediately. Um, and, and you had to... A- you know, a little taste in 97, um, you you took some walks. Uh, it was only 22 games, but, you know, you had a pretty low batting average your first couple of years in the big leagues with the Marlins before things really got cooking for you. So I'm curious to know, um, and, and this is instructive, I think, for, for Cubs fans who see, you know, a, a young Ian Happ or a Kyle Schwarber who have to go back to the minor leagues, and then they return and they kind of find their legs at this level how you dealt uh, with failure when you were 22, 23 years old and trying to to not only stay in the big leagues, but thrive and, and be the player that you ultimately became. Yeah, Lynn, I had some, I mean, you know, I I had some
2: tough years. Um, you know, 98 was, uh, I, I started off okay, actually, but the second half was miserable. I ended up getting sent down in 99. Um. And it was really the first time I had really experienced that type of failure. It, 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 you know, you have to dig deep. And that's, I think that's where the character comes in. You know, not everyone's able to to handle that type of failure because most most guys, it's their first time experiencing that. So, you know, I was able to fight through throughout a great crew around us. Um, I remember when I got sent down in 99, a lot of the guys on the big league team were calling me saying, keep your head up, keep going. And, that you know, that was really encouraging. But uh, yeah, you know, baseball, I'm, I'm amazed at these young guys nowadays, how they just come up. And it seems like a lot of them dominate immediately. It just, you know, these guys are so good now and so fun to watch. But it was definitely a, a learning curve there for me. And uh, I guess it makes it more rewarding that I was able to figure it out and, and last a while. So what did you figure out? Or was it just experience? it combination I mean you know I I think with experience you figure things out you you learn yourself for me it was a lot with myself um just kind of I you know I had a lot going on with my swing um the I, I was very susceptible to the breaking ball down the way um I got in some bad habits and pro player really trying to pull the ball when that wasn't my game um so for me, it was just more slowing the game down, learning my swing, how to, shortening my swing. And then from there, it was figuring out what the pitchers were trying to do to me, having a, a really good game plan every single time up at the plate. And, you know, it just took me a while. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I was able to figure it out.
1: Were you a tinkerer, Derek? Did you, did you mess with your swing a lot as a young player?
2: I did. As a young player... Um, I I did, you know, I was one of those guys I would be hitting after the game and before the game and trying different stances. And it was probably, I overdid it, overthought it. Um, and the game was getting faster and faster on me. You know, when I was in the box, I had too many thoughts going through my head and you had to kind of clear the mind and slow it down to be successful.
0: And we're kind of jumping around here and, uh, it's just kind of the way these conversations go, but you, you talked about guys just kind of show up, and and they're great from day one. Miguel Cabrera, uh, we saw him this week with the Tigers. He'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, I remember his Major League debut. He hit a game-ending home run. I remember Roger Clemens throwing up and in, and then he took him deep in the World Series. There, there are very few guys. You saw Tony Gwynn and then Miguel Cabrera come up and just dominate from day one. What, what was it about him that impressed you so much when he was twenty?
2: I mean, he, he was just so mature in that batter's box. You know, I, I talked about it took me a while to figure out a plan to, you know, have a great plan at the plate every time. He, he just had it from day one. You would see him shorten his swing with two strikes. You would see him shorten his swing with, you know, he had guys in scoring position. He had that knack of finding that hole between first and second. Um, he could turn on the power, obviously, when he needed it. But he was just, he, you know, I think he just fell out of bed hitting. He just, he can just flat out rake as a right-handed hitter. Um, but we, I had this conversation the other day, Lin JD. We called up Dontrelle Willis and Miguel Cabrera that year at the same time. I, I would argue that. No other team has called up two guys at, you know, in the middle of the season who had that big of an impact on a team at 20 years old. What do you, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You'd be hard pressed to come up with a, a similar situation. to such young guys that were so good so quickly.
0: I mean, they dominated from the time they came up. Yeah. They absolutely, you're, 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 you're 100% right. They just showed up and, and took the league by storm. Um, you made a managerial change that year. Uh, and I actually was in the clubhouse when Jack McKeon on a Sunday morning was walking through with his Jersey on, but it was unbuttoned and you saw him and you said, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm your manager. You said, really? Uh, those were days, those were the days before Twitter and the internet. Um, but that that was a, that was a wild year. And, those call ups kind of coincided uh, with Jack coming aboard, and um, yeah, you're right. I, I, I'm going to have to dig into that. Uh, two call ups <laughs> in one year that had a bigger impact. I think you're spot on. Um, yeah, I think Dontrell, I, I don't
2: think he won his first start, but I think after that, he won like seven in a row or something like that. And I mean, I mean, you know, we went from like ten thousand a night to twenty thousand just on his just because he was pitching. He really got the energy going down there.
1: Yeah, the the, uh, the, the phenomenon was similar to Fernando, right? Fernando in '81 with the Dodgers, his rookie year. Uh, he wasn't a call-up; he started started the year with the with the club. But th- but I, that, there was that same kind of vibe with Dontrell as with the Fernando mania back in 1981. That's the only comp I can think of.
0: Yeah, Dontrell. True.
1: Well, that's the a, other thing he oh. could hit too. <laughs>
2: oh yeah, he could swing it. He was an athlete. Yeah, Dontrell could he could definitely swing it with some pop.
0: I'm just looking at his numbers. He was a career 244 hitter with nine home runs, and uh, Jack used him to uh, pinch hit uh, every now and again. So, so let's go back to the early days. Uh, be, because you, your dad uh, played in Japan, you got to spend a, a lot of time in Japan when you were young. Uh, I'm curious to know if you've gone back Uh, Much since you retired with your uh, family, and what impact that had on you as a person, and maybe later as a player.
2: Yeah, um, he my my dad played ten years in Japan as well as my uncle, so we initially would go, we would you know finish the school year and we would go spend the summer there with him, and then I think around third grade we just started going to school there, so we'd be there for the whole season um, we, we went to American school. They spoke English, but we were, you know, we were there most of the year and, you know, after school, I was straight to the ballpark with, with my dad. And, um, you know, I, it just kind of, I guess, seeps into you, you know, they just, they, they preach, play the game the right way. So that's probably another lesson in, you know, how I went about my business. But, uh, as far as going back land, I, I went back in two thousand two on that, you know, that Japan tour. Um that they used to have every other year, I believe it was. And I took Christina and we actually went into the house I grew up in. So that, that was cool. Oh wow. But I have not taken my kids I haven't taken my kids back. We planned it we actually we were gonna go to the Olympics this summer. We were <laughs> we were gonna do that. That that's postponed obviously, but uh Yeah, Japan was great. I mean, they love baseball. You know, they don't have basketball and football, so baseball, they're baseball crazy. My dad was like a rock star over there. So I I really enjoyed it.
1: I was going to ask you if if there was um, ever a point where you're like, I wish my existence was a little more normal, more stateside, or was it, man, this is an amazing adventure and this is really cool, and I'm guessing it's the latter.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, as a little boy getting a chance to go, to the stadium every day and shag and take BP. I was in, I was in heaven. Um, you know, I'd sit in the clubhouse during the games and eat ramen noodles. And so, so for me, it didn't get much better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I have a, uh, I have a question from someone and if I, I suppose I should read the question first and then I'll have you guess who texted it to me to ask you. Okay. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about Dean Smith in a second, but, um, it says here, you were going to go play hoops and baseball it's it's at North know, it's Carolina. Boog. It's boog. You already know it's Boog. I yeah, John Shombi, here's a question. <laughs> Would you have really played hoops or just watched? <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't throw the white
2: towel in. He, Lynn, he once asked me, he once asked me I, th- I think it was like live radio. He's like, were you really going to play or were you going to be one of those guys on the bench waving a white towel <laughs> over you?" <laughs> so, what's the answer? The answer is I, I still have the letter from Dean Smith. I was so I was redshirting my freshman year. Um and you know, I believe in myself. I think I would have saw the court after that, Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was decent, but you know, I knew my limitations. That's why that's why I sign with the Padres because I knew I was a much better baseball player than uh, basketball. Basketball is my first love, though. Yeah,
1: there's something about practicing basketball. That's, that's a lot of fun, right? Baseball, I always felt it was like harder work.
2: Well, yeah, because, you know, a lot of basketball practice is scrimmage. It's competition. You know, it, you, don't, you don't really scrimmage in baseball. It's more kind of individual work. So basketball, sometimes the practices were, were more fun than the games.
1: Now, who was, who was at North Carolina at the time? Who who would your teammates have been?
2: Um, I, I think my freshman year would would have been Stackhouse's freshman year. You can look that up to be sure. But I think Stackhouse was same time frame. Rasheed Wallace, they had a guy. My position, the guy was Dante Calabria, if you remember that name. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't remember
0: much more after that.
1: Yeah, there's so many good clubs there. Wow.
0: So 2005, I'm still upset you didn't get the MVP that year. Uh, Albert won it. Uh, Andrew Jones actually finished second. But here here are the numbers. You led the league with 199 hits. You led the majors with a 335 average, 50 doubles. Uh, You slugged 662 that year. And for my money, the best game of your career offensively was June 1st of 2005 a nine five cubs win at dodger stadium actually it was three days you had three hits the night before you had uh three hits the night after in san diego but on june 1st you went five for five with a home run um i i think i said at the end of that game d that if you had 10 at bats that night you would have gone 10 for 10 uh Is that, is that the night that stands out to you? And I probably asked you how locked in you were, and you just shrugged your shoulders and didn't give me an answer because you didn't want to analyze it at the time. <laughs> you're exactly right. When you're, when you're in that zone like that, you don't
2: want to start thinking about it. You, know, you just want to ride it out. But, um, yeah, it was one of those things. You know, um, I, you know, that year in spring training, which is it doesn't normally happen, but right away in spring training, I, I was seeing the ball very well. Um, and it just continued over into the season and it just really seemed like the game had totally slowed down for me. Um, just was seeing the ball extremely well at the plate and, uh, just, you know, it was a fun year. It, it, the bad thing about it was we didn't, it wasn't too good of a year for the team.
0: So JD, you ready for this? 26, 26, game stretch, May 27th to June 23rd of 05. Uh, Derek went fifty for one hundred and four plus twelve walks. This is twenty six games, twelve doubles, ten home runs. He hit four eighty one with an OPS of fourteen twenty seven. I mean, nobody could get him out. Nobody. And yeah, that, that, I, I, that's one I, of the best stretches I, I remember.
1: Yeah, I was working down in Houston at the time, and I, and I remember <laughs> watching some of that stuff. It was it was really impressive. And you know, before we Started our chat with you, Dee, I, I, You know, I was um, thinking about Jeff Bagwell. That's that's kind of a comp. I think Bag, I, I was around Bagwell for a number of years, and, and uh, his game and your game, I just in terms of the approach, the professionalism that kind of kind of rings true. Berkman was was similar too. Uh, but man, what a what a group, right? Back in the day with, with Pujols and you and Bagwell, then Berkman. Uh, A lot of really good first basemen in the game
2: back then. Yeah, Todd Helton. You you know, it's funny you mentioned Bagwell because I modeled my defense. I love the way Jeff Bagwell played defense. And I I actually would – I love the way he charged the bunt. I love the way he shaded right-handers. You know, he kind of took away that hole from right-handed batters because how often do you see a right-handed hitter shoot it down the line? So I picked up a lot of good stuff from Jeff Bagwell.
0: And then, I hate to bring this up, but maybe the one of the worst days of your career uh, <laughs> happened also at Dodgers Stadium the following April. Um, I think it was Raphael call uh, on that collision at first base. And you ended up missing basically two months uh, with the wrist injury. And I know that was just brutal for you because you prided yourself on playing you know, 155, 160, 162. What was that like to not be able to do what you loved at a moment in time when you were in the absolute prime of your career? And I know you would have had a huge year that year had you been healthy all season.
2: Yeah, that was uh, I was crushed. You know, there's just no way around it. I was, um, you know, they took me in the back there in Dodger Stadium and they had an old x-ray machine that they're like, (laughs) we're going to give you an x-ray, but you're going to have to get another one because this thing is so old, (laughs) but, but the thing showed a break. (laughs) The thing showed a break. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of in denial, like, Oh, maybe I can figure out a way to play. But, you know, Oni was like, you know, you're going to, you're going to be out for a while. And, you know, it was just tough. You, You hate to be away from your teammates for any amount of time. Um, I felt like I was, I had a little shoulder injury from the WBC. So I, wasn't off to the start I wanted, but I, I felt extremely well, good at the plate again. I, I felt like I was going to have a really nice season. Um, so yeah, it was, it was tough. Never liked to get injured, obviously.
0: Yeah. And you, you, you once told me about days off uh, that, you know, the idea was You're almost like, if I'm, if I'm going to be at the ballpark, I might as well play. Uh, no one would have told you just to stay at home uh, on an off day, but Literally, it would almost be like stay, stay in your civilian clothes because days off when you might pinch hit don't really feel like mental days off. And, uh, you know, I know every team you played on was not as good when you were not uh, in the lineup. So were there a few moments when you had to talk Dusty or, or Lou uh, or Jack into putting you in the lineup when you weren't? Oh, Lynn, so the game you talked about in –
2: Dodger Stadium. I I think if you look, the game before that, I went 0 for five. I I don't. I think I'm almost positive the game before I went 0 for five. And that night, Dusty wanted to give me a day off. He thought he felt like, okay, you're getting <laughs> tired. I'm going to sit you down. And I talked him in to letting me play that night, and that <laughs> and ended up getting five hits. So yeah, I I I, I just should you know. <laughs> I felt if you're just like you said, if you're at the park, let's go, you know, um, I'm paid to play. So I just enjoyed playing. And I, and I felt like if I was able to get out there on the field, that's where I wanted to
0: be. Uh, JD, do you want me to do the, uh, the DEMP question or. Oh <laughs> yeah. To... Yeah. No, yeah. We ahead. we got, so I don't know if you heard about this rumor the last week, but uh, uh, your buddy Ryan Dempster told this story on the air last week about um tipping pitches and and things i don't know <laughs> <He> said okay <laughs> about the 7th or 8th year you guys were together uh, and oh, you played yeah. on two different teams together with the Marlins and the Cubs uh-huh. you commented on something that he did every time he made a pickoff throw and he said well why didn't you tell me earlier and you said well i didn't know if we were going to play together this long <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? That's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> he, he you you held me. on to that for like 7
2: years? <laughs> he, outed, he outed me on the national TV, Lynn.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. That's a true story. I feel bad about that. So <laughs> 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 so, so what was what, what was it that he did? There was a tell when he would make a pickoff throw, correct? There was,
2: and I I I believe it was his front shoulder. I don't. I don't want to. I I don't remember specifics, but he definitely had a tail that always knew there. Actually, there. You know, most pitchers do. And if you stand over there at first base, um, you know, you just pick up stuff. So it's not unusual for a pitcher to have a tail when they're (laughs) coming. Yeah, and and
1: and you you could run a little bit. You would you would steal some bags. Um, And so what what you know what what would you key on with a pitcher? What was what was. You know what, what? would most guys tell be?
2: Most guys, it is the front shoulder, right hander, left hander. It could be their glove. Um, some guys have little ticks that they don't even realize they have. You know, they might have a different cadence. Um, you know, some guys could do a little something with their head. Just little. You know, when you're on first, waiting for the throwover, that's all you're doing is staring at the pitcher. So you you pick up stuff.
1: And what about as a, as a hitter studying opposing pitchers? Were you good at, at picking up tweaks in guys' deliveries or when they come set or things of that nature that might tip you off as to what was coming?
2: I was not good at that, and I didn't – when I did know it, I didn't really want to know it. Um, you know, there's some guys who like to know what's coming. I remember Jim Edmonds, he could tell you every pitch that was coming, it seemed like. Um, but, I, I, you know, I didn't. I didn't like – to really know. Cause I felt like I just start swinging when I knew it was coming no matter what. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't great at picking up the pitches.
1: And I've heard other guys say that they didn't want it just in case, right. They got it wrong. Like there were, be guys on right. second <laughs> basis. I've got a sign; I can let you know. So, you know, but that one time you think you're going to get a break ball and the guy throws one under your chin, uh, That's obviously a very dangerous situation. So for that reason, a lot of guys, you know, I don't want to know.
2: Yeah, that could be bad. You're diving out for a slider and you get a heater up and in. But uh, yeah, there's, you know, there was guys who didn't want to know and there was guys who did. Um, I was just, you know, one of those guys who didn't want to know.
0: So we talked, uh, I talked to Alan Trammell this week and he'll always be connected to uh, Lou Whitaker because they were a great double play combo. And if I had to think of uh, the guy I would connect you to, certainly as a Chicago Cub, um, well, let me ask you, uh, if there was one guy who, uh, you know, people think about Derek Lee and X, uh, would there be a player who would stand out? Because I have a very specific idea. So I'm going to ask you first. As far as, you know, on the field? Just, yep, yep. I, I feel in- like in
2: Chicago, it was kind of Derek Lee and Aramis Ramirez, the, you know, the two cornerback ding
0: ding ding (laughs) yeah yeah that'd be the name what a great hitter I mean oh man he in every big spot right every big spot and you guys hit back to back in the order for so long and it was just a joy to watch you know Aramis you know I was able to figure
2: out how to hit and do okay but Aramis was just a pure hitter you know um, it didn't matter the pitcher like you said in big spots you know it's it's not easy to get big hits off the late inning guys and he consistently did it you know it didn't matter if the guy threw 98 didn't matter if the guy had a nasty slider or split he found a way to get the big hit and uh he was he you know he was fun to watch i actually learned a lot just watching him hit.
1: uh would you say underrated overlooked a little bit maybe or honest
2: oh 100% Is, is that fair? I, uh that is very fair and i and i think I remember when I came there, the rap on him was his defense. And I feel like his defense even got a lot better over there at third base. Um, Yeah, I I think as a third baseman in the 2000s, he's got to be up there in the top three easy.
0: Well, you also saved him some throwing errors, as you did all your infield teammates. So, uh, you know, I'm sure he appreciated that. And and I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, that that great defensive infield you had and Perry Hill, the uh, infield instructor, uh, with the Marlins. Um, I mean, Louis Castillo, Alex Gonzalez, and uh, Mike Lowell and Derek Lee, and then 2003 Pudge Rodriguez, a Hall of Famer behind the plate. Wow. Yeah,
2: that was a that was lights out defense right there. And then Juan Pierre, you know, in center field. We just, uh, you know, Bone preached it from day one in spring training. Every day, you know, he was on us 27 outs, 27 outs. You don't give up any more than that. And uh, we kind of took it to heart. And, uh, you know, we weren't going to bomb you out of the stadium, but uh, pitching and defense, that's why we got that title that year,
0: I believe. No doubt. A few more minutes with Derek Lee, but uh, before we continue... A quick word from our sponsor. Dear Adventurers, enjoy a summer of excitement with Toyota. Keep it wild in the rugged 4Runner. Take charge in the 2020 Camry with available all-wheel drive. Explore more and go farther in the stylish RAV4 or fuel-efficient RAV4 Hybrid. Or cruise with your crew in the roomy Highlander Hybrid. With electric, on-demand, all-wheel drive. Soak it up, Toyota. Right now, get 1.9% APR for 60 months on a new 2020 RAV4 or RAV4 Hybrid. Visit your local Toyota dealer or toyota.com to learn more. We're chatting with Derek Lee, former Cubs All-Star first baseman. You and I went through a similar thing in that we were with that hated team. You got to the Cubs a year before I did, so it was a little fresher. But I'm curious about the reaction and how you were received when you put on a Cubs uniform considering what happened in 03. The way I tell the story, Derek, um, because I witnessed what happened in the NLCS in 03, I had a much better understanding of just how deep uh, the Cubs are embedded in in Cubs fans' lives, and uh, I understood just how heavy and important Cubs baseball is. If you take your ba- yourself back to 2004 when you got here, uh, what was that like? And it had to be a little surreal to be with the team that you had just dispatched the uh, previous October. You know, it was. It was. Uh... It was definitely
2: strange to be hopping over to the team you had just beat in such a, really a, just an epic series. Um, but you're right, in that series, you got such a sense of how much the Chicago Cubs meant to that city. And then, you know, that that January when I went to the Cubs convention, I was, you, you know, I was blown away. Um, just at the reception of the fans to the team, it was just, you, I, I had never seen anything like that. Um, but as far as the team wise, they they accepted me with open arms. I had a previous relationship with Dusty, um, so I was extremely excited to come play for him. <laughs> on the field, you know, I got off to my usual slow start, and I believe Hesop in Florida was killing it in April. And I, rem- I remember, I would, yep. yeah, and I remember I would come up to the plate that first month and the crowd would start chanting, He Sop <laughs> Joy. He sop joy. April was there, you know, they let me have it in April. And uh <laughs> fortunately I, I started hitting a little bit in May and they they warmed up to me a little bit.
0: <laughs> well don't worry, they hated me the first month in 05 too. But the the great thing about Chicago and Cubs fans and, and you know this is that once you're in JD can attest to this. Once you're in man, you're in and and once you're 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 one of them. And uh Jason Kendall when he became a cub at the end of his career, he said every big league player owes it to himself to wear the Cubs uniform at some point and uh I'm sure you feel that way. I mean Andre Dawson, you know, was an expo for like 12 years and a cub for 6 years and he thinks of himself as a cub uh, because that experience was stamped, uh, on him, uh, so heavily. And, uh, I know you feel the same way about your time in Chicago. 100%. You know, um,
2: Florida was a great run, with, you know, great teammates. Obviously we won the world championship, but I think like Jason Kendall said, I mean, playing, I would imagine it's like that in Boston and, you know, the Yankees probably get that experience, but Playing in Wrigley Field in front of forty thousand and living in the city, um, you know, you just—it almost feels like you become family. Um, you know, even today when I go back, there just just get such a welcome reception. Um, I'm still a Cubs fan. I still watch. You know, I'm not as <laughs> not as fortunate as Andre Dawson to get to go to the Hall of Fame, but if I did, it would be in a Cubs uniform, no question about it. Um, just. <laughs> You know, those seven years were by far the best of my career, and, you know, it's just an experience. It's fun. I get to tell my kids about.
0: Uh, We have just a couple more minutes here with Derek Lee. uh, J.D., Uh, I'll let you have Adam for a couple more, and then I've got maybe one or two left.
1: I just want to circle back to a a rookie year with Padres in 1997, and I want to hear the story of your first big league home run.
2: Oh, man, you're going way back, J.D.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you you remember it though, right?
2: I do. You, I, I remember it because, um, it she wasn't my wife at the time, but it was her birthday and she was actually at that game. It was September 28th, 97, in uh, Old Candlestick Park. I'm trying to think of the pitcher's name, I, I don't remember the pitcher,
1: but Corey Bailey, maybe Corey, Corey Bailey. Bailey. That's Something his like name, that. Corey
2: Bailey. But I know it was it was a, not a walk-off, but it, it was like the top of the 10th and ended up winning the game for us. I remember that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at your game log from your rookie year, and you said you were up in April and got sent out, came back in September, if if, uh, if I've got it right. And you had yeah, the final game of the season, right? And, and you hit the game winner and in extra innings for your first Major League home run. Yep. That's last kind of a good of way year. to end the year.
2: Yep, last game of the year. It had not been a pretty – couple months for me in the big leagues but that that definitely made the offseason a little easier
0: (laughs) 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 um i only have a couple more uh you were traded to the braves while the braves were at wrigley field you probably i don't know how much you remember that was i'm sure just a whirlwind of a weekend uh but it was odd seeing you playing against the cubs there for a moment and You know, it's part of the deal, right? You understand that uh, it's part of the business, but what was that moment like when you stepped into the box and got that great ovation from uh, your former fans, so to speak?
2: You know, that was not a fun three days, Lynn. You know, it was just too raw, I guess, Um, kind of basically walking to the other side of the field and having that – it just was – I, I didn't enjoy those three days. There, there's just no really no other way to put it. I appreciated the fans' reception, um, but I, you know, I wasn't ready for it, and I just, it, it just wasn't a good three days. It, you know, it really took me a while to kind of become a brave, I guess. And by the way, that that team was that was a baseball team. You know, they had a bunch of baseball players, and uh, I wish we could have went further in the postseason. But yeah, those those first three days was just, you know, and I think Demp was on the mound my the first game, which made it even tougher. Oof. Yeah, so uh it you know, I I I really don't remember much about the three days. I I didn't take much in.
1: There was a young Jason Hayward on that Braves team, right? His rookie year?
2: Yeah. Jason was over there. He was uh I mean like, you know, he I think he had he had a great rookie season and it's good to see him coming back. He's getting a swing back, but I mean, what a player! He plays right field, like you know, he's fun to watch out there in right field.
1: Yeah, because yeah. he was he was twenty that year. You broke in at twenty one. That's you know, that's that's very young to to get to the big leagues. And uh, as you mentioned, some guys have success right off. He he certainly did. Um, uh, my other question is is um, post post career what what do you, what does life look like? What have you been up to?
2: You know. Um... Believe it or not, somehow I found myself doing some real estate development. Um, and it's funny because my wife teases me because I, I, she found this paper years ago that I written down my goals and, and that's on there. I had forgot about it, but I, <laughs> I find myself doing that. But, mo- you know, mostly being dad, we travel a bit, um, coach, coach my son's baseball. My girls are in gymnastics and ballet. So mostly being dad and uh, you know, trying to be around for them.
1: How old are the kids?
2: My oldest is seventeen. She graduated this year. She she's going to Berkeley. Berkeley College of Music. Jada. Yeah, you know Jada Lynn. Wow. She's in college. It's hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> and then my son is my son Dylan's ten. He'll be he'll be eleven next week. And then I have two girls. My Lyric is eight and Sojourner is five.
0: Fantastic! You're busy, um, yeah. Wow, that's great. Uh, so, uh, final one for you, Derek. Uh, and and this, I believe, uh, came from from the guy you mentioned earlier, Juan Pierre, who I uh, talked to uh, a lot and and still do to this day. And uh, JP just celebrated a birthday, so happy belated birthday to the uh, former Cub. JD wrote a letter. Uh, when at the, toward the end of his career, and it got back to his former Twins teammates, and it was about just how fast a big league career can go, and and to really enjoy it as much as you can, as difficult as that can be, because when you're in the middle of it, it's it's hard to quote have fun when you're grinding. But I, I'm guessing for you, and and JP mentioned this. You win a World Series in 2003, and I remember you said it makes you want to win the world series even more after you do it the first time. And so the question would be this. Probably a little bit in the back of your mind you're thinking I'm probably going to win a couple more. Like we'll 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 do it again whatever team I'm on and it didn't happen, right? So is it kind of that note for some players who have success early or are, are working towards something to just really embrace that because it is so incredibly difficult and so incredibly fleeting in terms of a big league career when you compare it to a lifetime of experiences.
2: Yeah, I mean, that is so true, Lynn. I mean, I can't... JD, I think that's incredible you did that, wrote that letter.
1: Yeah, the, the letter was funny because I, I had to write a letter on, on another front and I decided to kind of wax philosophical because you know it, it's an odd feeling right when you first get out of the game it's like this party continues to go on without you uh and, and i don't know if you experience the same thing but that first year when spring training is happening and you're not there it's like wait a minute right. <laughs> you know how come i'm not invited anymore it's right a very bizarre feeling
2: yeah you just programmed for you know february time to get up and go but yeah i mean you know it, it it goes so quick it, i mean it, it, i can't <laughs> it's hard to believe when you look back and you know, I've been out nine years already and it's that that's hard to believe. But yeah, you have to you know, it sounds so cliche, but you really do just have to slow it down and try to enjoy every day, you know, kind of take it all in, you know, build those relationships because that is what lasts, um, you know, to get texts from Carrie Wood the other day, just checking in on wildfires in my area you know, the conversations with Juan Pierre, Ted Lilly, Ryan, you know, Ryan Dempster, just on and on, you know, that's what lasts. And if you don't take the time to build those relationships, you know, I I guarantee that's something you're going to regret. So, you you know, it is a grind. Obviously you want to win championships, you know, it's important to, to try to win every day and work hard and play hard, but you have to slow it down and enjoy it and build those relationships. And and you know make those memories because it's it's definitely over in a flash.
0: Well we uh we appreciate the the time very much and when I say you're my favorite player you know what I really mean is you're one of my favorite people because I I really you know doing what we do for a living and being around uh players and teams you cannot separate or I can't uh, separate the person uh from the player so um you know you, you you're still my favorite player even though you as you say, you've been retired for nine years, and uh, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Please give Christina and your family our best. And uh, thanks so much for the time, D. We, we, we really appreciate it.
2: No, enjoy it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
0: Great stuff with Derek Lee, the uh, former Cub first baseman. And, uh, J.D., we are kind of, you know, just doing this as we go. And we're doing our weekly admission at the end of our podcast. Uh, We're also going to now add uh, a little uh, twist because on one of our broadcasts, and I don't even know how it came up, uh, some sort of baseball jargon terminology, uh, I mentioned that I have possession of the Dixon baseball dictionary, it's actually the third edition, Uh, I believe it's about a thousand pages, and it just has baseball terms uh, throughout the long history of this game, and I thought it would be fun to maybe randomly open a page and read a couple of entries that we can chew on each week. You want to, should we dive in?
1: Yeah, bring it on.
0: All right, so I'm going to open page 326, and all right, so we're in the F section, and fishing trip is defined as a swing at a pitch outside the strike zone. A player who goes on a fishing trip hasn't been away on a vacation. He merely took a swing at a bad ball, wrote David Shulman in Baseball Magazine in 1943. And I think the takeaway here is the idea of boats, fishing, water. Uh, You you hear it often throughout uh, baseball history.
1: Yeah, uh, in a lot of nautical terms, um, you know, on deck. Uh, you know, we always say in the hole, but originally it was in the hold, like in, in the hold of a of a boat. Uh, managers are referred to as skippers, and and the other thing is is, is how certain terms uh, that were introduced in the game uh, years and years and years ago ago have kind of um, stayed, and others have kind of dropped away. And you know, popular with sports writers in a certain era, maybe not so much anymore. But that's what's so much fun about that book is to be able to dig in and and see what was you know part of the uh, vernacular of the game maybe years ago that maybe isn't quite as much today and of course it's our responsibility now to reintroduce that stuff and that's why for the next great pitching matchup we're going to have so-and-so outslabbed (laughs) so-and-so
0: that's right yeah that I think that's where uh, we got the idea all right one more five and fly a five inning (laughs) yeah five inning (laughs) pitching performance in which the starting pitcher gets credit for the win after the bullpen pitches the final four innings. The etymology of this is interesting. Do you, do you know the, how this started?
1: I don't know the, the origins of it, but yeah. I know it's been around a long time. And, well, and Generally, see. it's, a, it's a, um, you know, like a stain upon the starting pitcher.
0: The etymology is quitting the military after the required five years of service.
1: Ah,
0: I didn't wow. realize that. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, five oh, yeah. and fly is is a lot more common now, but not necessarily by choice, right?
1: Right. Yeah. You know, it used to be five and fly, and and you know, because sometimes what would happen is the starting pitcher would go out there, go five innings, have a one or two run lead, uh, and that was a little tenuous. And all of a sudden, ah, I'm a little tired, or just kind of give off some body language that he didn't want to stay in the game. Um, and so that was <laughs> that's why it became a uh, you know an act of uh, you would be uh, criticized for, for, for ducking, going back out there and competing. Now, you know the, the modern game managers are you know rarely going to ask for uh, more than six innings out of their starting pitcher.
0: So we're not going to do it in mission this week. Unfortunately, we have to end on some sad news today, but we want to send out uh, our condolences to the family of Sue Wyder. Uh, if you attended a lot of games at Wrigley Field and you sat anywhere near the press box, you probably met Sue. Uh, Everyone just remembered her as Sue. Uh, She passed away uh, earlier this week at age 68. She had uh, worked for the Cubs since 1989. As far as anyone can tell, uh, she never missed a game. And every time she answered the phone, she would say, Sue here. And uh, she worked with Keith Schramm near the press box door. You and I got to know Sue incredibly well. Uh, always had a smile on her face. And uh, this is devastating news. And uh, obviously, we we didn't see Sue earlier this season because of the pandemic and the ballpark uh, has very limited uh, uh, capacity in terms of workers. So uh, I wanted to mention Sue today. And I know uh, you got along very well with her.
1: Yeah, she's one of the first people I met when I when I joined the ball club. And, and you said always a smiling face when you showed up. Uh, at the press box, uh, she and Keith were constants, and it's very, very sad news, and, you know, what is turning out to be a very sad year on, on so many fronts, but that's that's a real kick in the gut.
0: Sue, we love you, and we miss you, and rest in peace. Special thanks to Max Berman, Joe Rios, Matt Romito, Daniel Green, Jim Obojkovic, Shane McGuire, Adam Sobel. For Jim Deshays. I'm Len Casper please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with your friends. We will talk to you next week on Open Concessions presented by Toyota.